So my name is Jackie Senna, for those of you who don't know me. I am one of the Tuesday evening lead Bible study leaders. So if you don't recognize me, it's probably because I'm not here that often up here today. <laughs> Thursday mornings, I'm here often, but Thursday mornings, I'm not here often. Um, I feel like it's been a long time <laughs> since we've been here, so I'm a little nervous. I'm going to try to talk slowly and remember to breathe. Um, it'd be really important to do. I, I did make a mistake this morning, though. I, I uh, was recently put on a new medication so that I wouldn't need to use my rescue inhaler. I don't know some of you maybe take it. I had never taken it. I use a rescue inhaler tons. And so they're like, start this pill. I don't need to use my inhaler. I haven't used it in a week, which is really weird for me because I never leave it. But this morning I thought, what if I get up there and can't breathe? I better use it. So now my heart is racing and I'm like getting all sweaty and I'm thinking, what have I done to myself? I was already nervous. (laughs) But we'll be okay. We'll be okay. It's temporary. Um, I don't know how many of you were with us when we did the discipleship training weeks, but I don't, I feel like I look at this letter in a new way. Looking at Paul talking to Timothy, it's not just the ultimate Paul talking to some lowly guy. They have this love relationship. Their mentor, mentory, mentor. I've been trying to figure out how is it, is it discipler, disciple mentor, mentory, whatever it is. It, minty, it's mint, they're minty. Um, I love to, to go through 2 Timothy with that perspective of their love relationship, the care that they have for each other. So that was just my little side note. Um, let's begin with prayer. I need it. <laughs> Father God, we just come before you this morning, and Lord, I'm grateful to be here, to have the privilege to come and to be with these women and to dive into your word together, Lord. I just pray this morning that the ultimate goal, Lord, would be you that you would, would be what's heard. Your greatness, your mercy, your grace is all that our hearts would hear today, Lord, that you would speak to each one of us exactly what it is we need to hear. I think of our Sunday school lesson, Lord, where when the Holy Spirit came upon them, they spoke in the languages that needed to be heard, and I pray, Lord, that that's today that these women would hear the word you want them to hear, Lord, the word that you have for them to hear, regardless of what I say. So, Lord, we commit this time to you. We love you. We praise you in your mighty name. So, I loved Janet's message last week. I've got to hear it a couple times now. So, if you missed it, you should really go and listen to it. It's really easy to find. The website, YouTube, Facebook, it's on the app, but I'm going to be honest, I have not figured out how to work my app yet. Um, I have a hard time with technology in general. My kids are like, just push that. I'm like, nah, nothing happens when I push it. But it's easy to find, and if I can do it, you can do it. So, in the beginning of this chapter, Paul sends a letter to encourage Timothy to remain steadfast in Ephesus and emphasize the need to keep the main thing, the main thing, and our main thing is Jesus. Paul wrote this letter to build up and encourage Timothy, who had a hard job to come against false teachings and the motives behind it. Paul's heart for the church is its health, and he's always motivated by his love, and sound doctrine and teaching is his priority. It's the main thing. To quote Janet, the law cannot bring righteousness, 
but the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ certainly can. Paul is such an incredible encourager for Timothy to stay the course, and I'm sure Timothy will keep this letter close to his heart. She closed and encouraged us to know the word, to be able to measure the lies of the world and its motives against God's perfect word. The truth of God's word, to know the truth of God's word, and to be able to measure it again. So I repeated myself, so we needed to hear it. So we need to be able to take the lies that the world tells us, that we tell ourselves, and measure it against the ultimate truth of God. So today we're going to begin in verse 12. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are founded in Christ Jesus. Poor Paul's... <laughs> Sorry, I am a little tongue-tied. <sighs> Paul pours out his heart here about how undeserving he is for what God has done for him. After all, wasn't he a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent aggressor? But Jesus had other plans for his life. He saved him and made him a servant despite his past. Paul's sins would no longer define him as he was forgiven. I love Chuck Smith's book, why grace changes everything, where he talks about forgiveness of sin. Scripture says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Chuck Smith says, I'm glad he didn't say as far as the north is from the south, because if you start going south, eventually you're going to meet the north and be going north. But if you start going west, you can never reach the east. They will never meet each other. And God's forgiveness is absolute. God has shown Paul mercy and grace, his grace. God's grace overflowed to him. And Paul understood the magnitude of what he was saved from and what he was saved for. In Acts 26, 9 through 11, Paul says, So then I thought to myself that I had to do many hostile things to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And this is just what I did in Jerusalem. Not only did I lock up many of the saints in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, but also when they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them. And as I punished them often in the synagogues, I tried to force them to blaspheme. And being ferociously enraged at them, I kept pursuing them even to foreign cities. Paul was relentless. Paul has such a powerful testimony he was at every turn an enemy of Jesus and Jesus' people. He persecuted. He enacted unspeakable violence. He brutalized happily. He was not someone you wanted to encounter. But Jesus, but Jesus had other plans for this man. It was not... Paul is no longer who he was before he encountered Jesus on that road. It's who he is after that holds all the power in Paul's testimony. 
The grace of God did what the law could never do. It changed his life completely. It turned a serial killer into a servant of God. And Paul was extremely grateful for that. Today's my Chuck Smith day, just saying. I was reading his book and looking at stuff. So Chuck Smith says, now Paul says of the ministry that he was enabled by the Lord. God isn't looking for ability. Though we often, when we're looking for someone to fill a position within the church or whatever, we get out the resumes. We look for the top of the class. We're looking for the most talented individual, but God doesn't. God looks for the most available individual. And then he enables him to do the work that God would have done through him. And quite often, the choices of God are shocking to us. You know, it's sort of an interesting thing, he says. God counted him faithful and put him in the ministry. And of course, a steward is required that he be faithful. God is looking for someone who is available and someone who is faithful. Again, Paul has such a powerful testimony. I love testimonies, and we all have one. Whether you were raised in a godly family like a Timothy, or you were a chief sinner like Paul, we all have one thing in common, and that is Jesus died on the cross the same for you as he did for me, as he did for Timothy, and as he did for Paul. In my life, <laughs> I have been forgiven of so much. And I will continue, like Paul, to call on that forgiveness every day because I am a sinner in need of grace, continual grace and mercy for forgiveness. I would liken myself to Paul as a chief of sinners. My ledger was full, but Jesus uses me despite myself, and there's, nothing, there's no greater news. Verse 15 says, it's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. Yet for this reason, I found mercy, so that in me as foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Here is the critical truth. Jesus came into the world to save sinners. We can easily lose sight of this fundamental truth. Jesus came to save. He did not come to save the righteous. He came to save the sinner. The most precious and powerful statement for me in this scripture is Jesus came into the world to save sinners. John 3, 16 and 17 for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. <clears throat> Paul defines himself as the foremost of sinners. And what I find interesting is that he does not say he was foremost. He uses the present tense. What Paul knew was he identified in Christ according to the grace, and he was humble enough to know and confess that he was still in need of his Savior and will continue to be in need of his Savior. Pastor Doug said, I believe that the more we grow in the knowledge of God and understand the depth of God's righteousness and love, the more 
aware we become of our own need for his continuous grace and mercy in our lives. Jesus came into the world to save sinners like me and like you. I pray that we never forget what we were saved from, by whom we were saved or for what purpose we were saved for. I loved what Janet said last week when she was describing this letter to Timothy. It's a pastoral epistle. It's a letter for pastors, leaders, any believer. We're not just reading a letter from Paul's heart to Timothy, but we're reading a letter for our encouragement, for our hearts, for our building up, for our calling to keep the main thing the main thing, to hold fast to the truth of God's word. God wants to use us to demonstrate his perfect patience to a fallen world. Let me tell you, I try his patience a lot, but I never want to lose sight of what I was saved from and what I was saved for. And I'm going to be honest, I do. Let me just tell you that every day I fall short. My purpose, I remind myself all the time, my purpose is not where I serve. I love to do that. Let me be part of an event. You can barely keep me away, Angela. I'm warning you now. I'll be on your door. I love events. You want me to cook for a crowd? Let's go. (laughs) I've learned to do it. Janet's, I've been taught by the best. Teach in children's ministry, I might rumble down the hallway, but the minute I get in there, there's nowhere else I want to be. Or even on the teaching team here, listen, half the time on my way here, I cry. Why do I do this? Why do I keep going back? Because I love God's word. Because it's not about me. But these things are outpourings of a girl surrendered to her Savior. They're not works-driven, but a direct result of his perfect patience for me. But my true calling is none of those things. It's to be his hands and feet to this fallen world to be available and faithful, to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ wherever he asks me to go and whoever he asks me to talk to. And given the opportunity, if we allow him, Jesus will show off his greatness in your life. I'm gonna share a devotion that I had um, earmarked. I really enjoyed it, um, but I wanna read it to you. So, now in our world today, we might want to argue with Paul. We might want to tell Paul that he wasn't that bad. We might want to tell him that it's not healthy to think of himself that way. We may want to tell him that doing, well, Paul, you're doing so much better now. But notice, Paul will have none of that. He does not say he was the worst of sinners, but that he is the worst of sinners. He does not say he was the worst, but is doing so much better now. He does not deflect his sinfulness. He does not excuse his sinfulness. He does not blame others for his sinfulness, and he does not minimize his sinfulness. He does not say with false humility, so that he does not say any of this with false humility so that people will pay attention to him and try to make him feel better. Paul means it. Jesus came to save sinners, and I am the worst. On the list of sinners, Paul says he is number one. So why is that important? The saving of Paul was a picture for all who believe in Jesus for eternal life. Christ's extraordinary, perfect patience was on display with Paul as an example for us. What is this example? If Jesus can save Paul, he can save you. 
No one is beyond Paul's, beyond Paul, Paul's not gonna save you. Sorry, it's Jesus. No one is beyond Jesus's saving grace. You cannot out sin God's forgiveness. Jesus came to save sinners and Paul is the proof. Look at the life of Paul and even Jesus saved him. Not only did Jesus save Paul, he put Paul into his service as an apostle. No one is beyond the grace of Jesus. If he can do that for Paul, he can do that for you. No wonder Paul would write to the Romans these words. But where sin increased, grace abound. All the more so, all the more so as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, there's hope for the worst of us. Even the worst sinner has hope in Jesus because he has perfect patience with us. You cannot discount the power of God's forgiving mercy and grace. It's unfathomable. Verse 17 says, Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. I'm going to just say that every time I read this, I hear Janet sing it. I just, I'm like, when I, oh, that's my confession. So the very, oh, sorry. The very first time I ever heard worship, it came out of her mouth. <laughs> I've never heard anybody sing about Jesus and it was captivating. So when I read scripture that's a song, I hear Janet sing it. It's just her voice that's in my head. So all week, I just, I'm hearing her sing this to me. So anyway. This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight. David Guzig said about this verse 17, Paul could not think of how bad he was and how great the salvation of God was with I'm sorry, let me go back. Paul could not think of how bad he was and how great the salvation of God was and how great the love of God was without simply breaking into spontaneous praise. The outburst of praise shows that Paul both knew God and loved God. He knew God to be the king eternal, ruling and reigning in complete power and glory. He knew God to be immortal, existing before anything else existed, and being the creator of all things. He knew God to be invisible, not completely knowable by us. We can't completely figure out God or know all his secrets. He knew God alone was wise, that he is God and we are not. Knowing all of this about God, Paul couldn't stop praising him. David Guzik says, if we ever have trouble worshiping God, it's because we don't know him very well. Timothy here is being encouraged to fight the good fight. Now there are no, <laughs> I don't know about you, so listen, I thought, Timothy prophecies, how have I missed that? I Googled it, I looked for it, there aren't any. I'm sure you know that, it's just me. I thought, did I miss something? The Timothy prophecies? No, there are no known Timothy prophecies. But Paul is saying that he wants Timothy to remember God's grace at work in his life, his calling by the Holy Spirit, 
how the Holy Spirit is ministered to him to, and to receive courage, to remember to be fortified, to remain in Ephesus and fight the good fight, to keep the main thing the main thing and stand strong for God's word. I'm gonna quote David Guzik again. He says, apparently God had spoken to Timothy through others through the gift of prophecy. And the words were an encouragement for Timothy to stay strong in the, difficult, in the difficulty right in front of him it may have been a description of Timothy's future ministry. It may have been a warning against being timid in his work for God. Whatever it was, God wanted Timothy to draw strength from it in his present difficulty. I was thinking it could have been Paul himself who spoke these things into Timothy's life as his mentor, and he is encouraging him to recall it. I don't know if you've ever had somebody speak like this into your life. I have been so blessed too, so many times, but I'll tell you, it was somebody speaking like this into my life that actually brought me to salvation. I've shared this before. So my husband and I started attending Calvary Chapel, North Clackamas. We were invited to go and we were a mess. We weren't married. Um, but when I say we're a mess, that's an exaggeration. So... Um, we came and something about this place captivated us. We didn't know what it was. We didn't know why we went back. But it was Sunday. I was like, well, you know, we went to a Wednesday night. Doug was teaching in Daniel. And we were like, Sunday morning, we're like, oh, let's go to church. Okay, let's go. So we got to church. We didn't love the worship music. We sat in the car and listened to our own music and then went in. And uh, it was, I'm telling you. We, and then we were sitting at home. We were really just kind of trying to contemplate what was going on with us. And when I say we were a mess, we were a mess. Um, when I said we weren't married, I wasn't married. Um, I was in a place in my life I didn't care. I, if I wanted what I wanted, I wanted it. And that's what I did. So we're sitting there and we're thinking, we've got to do something before these people find out we're sinners. They won't let us come back. We're not going to be able to go back. And I'm, I'm, and my husband's going through a divorce. I'm pregnant. I mean, we're just like, what do we do? Okay, well, we're going to sneak off and get married. Because that's what you do. You sneak off and get married. We didn't want to marry each other, but that's what you do to stay in church. You just go get married. And um, so that's it. We're going to go get married. So I went to get my hair cut. And as I'm sitting there, this woman even know if I've, I'm sure I've shared this with you over the past. This woman's cutting my hair and I'm captive. I got the cape on, I'm stuck in the chair and she starts pouring out the gospel to me and I'm thinking, just cut my hair. I've got to go get married so I can keep going to church. I don't need to hear the gospel. Just, I've had it. So at that point, I really was really uncomfortable and I said, I need to stop. I need to get up and walk around. And I told her, I said, um, I've never felt my baby move. I've never felt him move, and I'm really uncomfortable. I need to stand up. I kind of felt alarmed, and she got her Bible, and she read to me the story of Mary going to Elizabeth and the baby responding, and she asked me how far along I was, and I told her, and she said, well, he's not big enough to cause you this kind of uncomfort, and she said, when are you going to give up your life and realize what that unborn baby has already knows when he's in the presence of the Holy Spirit? And then she 
sat with me. She held my hand. She prayed for me. And the things she prayed, I can remember them so clearly. She prayed for me to know the Lord, to grow in him, my importance would be to be a mother. And then she prayed for a calling on Joe's life. And the things she said were so powerful. But she said, she's like, you have such a responsibility. God has given you this boy who's gonna be powerful for the Lord one day. And you have great responsibility for that. Will you take it or will you run from it? And I thought, I'm gonna run from it. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what you're saying to me here, but I'm, I, I'm gone and so's your tip. Just finish up so I can go. She would not let me up. And we talked and we prayed. And you know, she said, um, I wish I could, uh, I, mean, I wish I'd written this down. She prayed so much that I could have known what was coming in my life. That I, how these kids were gonna be, you know what, I have to tell you, Joe, Joe, if you ever listen to this table, they won't, they like, I don't like to listen, my kids to listen to me do this. I, anyway, <laughs> Anthony listens, the other two behave and don't. Um, I have never wondered about Joe's salvation. I know he struggled in his life, but God made me a promise that day, and I've never doubted it, and I can look back on that. And this morning, I was thinking about that. Um, I went to work early, you know, so I could really jack myself up on some coffee, and <laughs> because that's what I need to talk faster is coffee. But I was sitting, and I was thinking about how amazing that was for me. It took my fear away of walking and marrying someone. Honestly, we didn't even like each other. We didn't even leave our wedding together. We left in separate cars, but we did what was right before God. Our God, we didn't know or understand, but that's what we did. But that promise stayed with me that I knew that no matter what happened, we suffered through addiction. We suffered through hard times, but that promise never left me. And this morning, as I was thinking about that, I opened Facebook and I saw another promise as my sister-in-law <laughs> stood over my husband's gravestone. And I remember the promise then because it came from Doug. You are going to be okay. God has you and he has those kids. Without people speaking powerfully into my life, I don't know where I would be. And I know Paul feels that way for Timothy because he's been the one pouring into Timothy and speaking powerfully to him. Verse 19. Keeping faith and good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Among those are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I've handed over to Satan, so they may be taught not to blaspheme. In 19, Paul continues to encourage Timothy to keep faith, to hold fast to the truth of God's word and to keep his conscience clear. How do you battle false doctrine? By knowing the true word of God. How do you stand up to those who are tearing lies, telling lies and coming to seek and destroy you? Come with the pure, unadulterated truth of God's word. But sadly, people will reject God's truth and they will follow what tickles their fancy. Paul used the example of two people here, H and A, and they have been handed over to Satan, which is a term of discipline. He means that they were removed from the fellowship of believers, expelled from the church, removed from the protective umbrella of their fellowship. Pastor Doug said it like this, 
To turn over to Satan is to send them away without the covering of the church for sound instruction and exhortation to be taught and to be taught a lesson. David Guzik said, from other New Testament passages, we can surmise that he did this by putting them outside of the church into the world, which is the devil's domain. The punishment was a removal of protection, not an infliction of evil. One thing I noticed here was that the goal would be that they would learn that this sin would not go unrepentant, but that this course of action would bring about repentance and restoration so they would learn their lesson and return to the faith. God disciplines those whom he loves. Hebrews 12, verse 6 and verse 11 those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterward it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. This is scriptural and it's godly. Although it sounds terrible to be turned over to Satan, it's for the protecting of the body and standing up for and on God's word. This morning as I was, I was just praying through my notes and, and I had a, just a, for me, I know the Lord gave it for me just to help me to understand this, but several years ago, I found out I had cancer. An aggressive little bugger in my left kidney. This cancer's end goal was the death of my body. The treatment, the only option was to cut it out to save me. No medicine would work. There was no treatment available. Coddling the tumor or putting it, or putting my head in the sand would not take care of the problem. So I went and had the poison cut out. And when I woke up, I learned that that little left kidney was a fighter. It gave up that tumor and allowed itself to be reshaped, molded and reformed. And it remains in my body today a little misshapen, but fully restored and functional. This is the goal of discipline. But at some point when discipline is not enough, the turning over to Satan is what follows. I know this happens. I've seen it happen. They don't always choose repentance and restoration, but when they do, it's so amazing. So like Paul's encouragement to Timothy, May we be women who hold fast to Jesus, keeping our faith and, allowing, and not allowing ourselves to be shipwrecked by remaining anchored to him. Last week, Janet ended by encouraging us to be Bereans, to know the truth, to study God's words, to meditate on scriptures. I want to end this same way this week. Know that you know what you know, be teachable, be learners, lean into Jesus. Don't allow yourself to be stagnant. Don't lean on your own understanding. Hold fast to Jesus and remember that Jesus came to save sinners. And that's why each of us is here today. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you, Lord, uh, for your word. And I just pray, Father God, as we go to our groups, that you would continue to minister mightily, that we would be iron sharpening iron, Lord, that we would share the truths that you pour into us, Father God, that we can uh, glorify you 
and encourage one another, Lord, that we would leave here different than the way we came, that we would be more like you. Father God, again, we love you, we praise you in your mighty name. Amen.